0: This week on their KubaFlex, Search tries to find Shelly and Man. Workday scores with its new acquisition. Dropping degree re- requirements, the first step to skills-based hiring. Plus, some ideas of how the world structures its TA departments? TRF with my dad and Shelley starts right now. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge.
1: And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now.
0: Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. Shelly, the last time I saw you was Thursday night at the Canadian Recruiters Networking Group. And we had tons of fun. I've never seen so many people at that event.
1: Yeah, I agree. It was a ton of fun. My face hurt from smiling. (laughs) Like just seeing so many people being face-to-face, but a real success. Wow. Because it wasn't all agency recruiters or vendors. It was a really nice mix of corporate recruiters and staffing agency recruiters as well and independent recruiters.
0: Yeah. Kudos to Will Van Midlandorp, who did an amazing job, always does. Love that he gets us across the country together in each market. A lot of fun. And so I was the speaker.
1: Yes. Spotlight was on you, Search. Did you volunteer or were you voluntold? Like, how did it happen that you were delivering the, you know, um, the five minutes of fame? Serge s- the Spotlight.
0: I've been asked several times and I've always kind of be like, well, ask to sponsor because I want them to get the limelight. Yeah, But this time, Kim, who everyone on the show knows, her company was sponsoring the event and she's like, no way. Surge, you got to do it. So yeah, I was voluntold, but I'm always happy to get in front of this group. It's all people that we know and love, and -hmm. I think I had a good message to share. It was an interesting presentation. I think it It went well. It was
1: fun. I I do have to point out that the lead up to your joke was actually I didn't know what was coming. (laughs) You kind of given me a bit of a heads up that there would be a little surprise. So just for our audience that wasn't there, Surge decided to enlist a room of 100 recruiters to help find me a date. (laughs) (laughs) It was really something because everybody's looking at me to see if I think it's funny and whether I'm reacting or not. We even had some people in the audience go, (laughs) Serge. But the best part of all was that made sure that if there were going to be any referrals, Serge is doing the pre-screen. So you know what? I couldn't ask for a better matchmaker than that
0: you know I was hearing comments I can't believe he's doing that <laughs> surge and then when I said even your granddads I'm hearing like oh you're going too far and I'm like I know you might be 18 here and you have a granddad that's like in their fifties I like who knows no. but do you want to listen to the audio Shelly actually I think it's really funny yeah go ahead go ahead all right let's play it <laughs> And uh, Shelly, I'm not anything about you because we have a big audience, a big crowd here. And I've known you for a long time and you've been single most <laughs> of the time. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm running a public all of you. Okay? So if you have
1: a brother, a uncle, a dad,
0: a grand baby. So if you do have any prospects, please bring it up to me. I would like to freeze screen. <laughs> so it wasn't too bad, Shelly. It was all in fun. And it, it's become our stick in some ways because we did this at Wreckfest where I tried to get everyone there to find you a date. Well, so I'm no, working.
1: Listen. So here's the thing. And I think at one point there was like, okay, we're not asking for anyone in the room. We're not looking to date at work. No. Which brings us to a hilarious article by Tim Sackett this week. I was like, oh, how perfectly does this fit? (laughs) Sackett wrote the 10 rules of office romance. Oh, my God. It was so funny. Serge, tell me, what was your favorite of the top 10 rules here? Oh, I I think we have
0: to cover a bunch of them, but go on Tim Sackett's blog. His website is timsackett.com and go find the 10 rules of office romance. Uh, Let me give you a couple that I really like. So steer clear of anyone in payroll. Messing with them may result in a temporary paycheck glitch. And even when it's fixed, Errors might haunt your pacelet forever. Just don't mess with payroll. That has always been the number one rule for me. Never screw around with payroll, and always be the friendliest person they deal with because you don't want to fuck with them.
1: <laughs> okay, you got another one, and then uh, I go
0: to- give me one.
1: Oh, okay. This is save the explicit emails for after work. It's not that I won't enjoy reading them. It's just that I get embarrassed when I have to read them aloud to the unemployment judge at your hearing. Trust me, it's awkward.
0: (laughs) Yes. Here is one. So Shelly, I've worked in sales uh, a long time and there's always been sales conference and you get a bunch of salespeople drunk. So one of the rules here is don't get involved with a married colleague. Even if you're the work spouse, remember, it's not real. Reality hits hard when the actual spouse shows up. The other thing that if you are in a relationship, and I think a lot of people do this, is don't hide it. The soonest that you know that it's going to be out there, just bring it to HR, get it out of the air, unless you're the supervisor. If you're the supervisor, yeah, you still have to report it. But you should get ready that you're probably going to have to look for another job. That's just the rules, right? So yeah. I thought it was pretty funny overall. I think there was some good stuff in there. So check it out. Yeah, it was funny. It was really well. Hey, done. Have you ever dated anyone at work? Yes. Yes. How did that end up?
1: It was the CEO, and <laughs> I was, <laughs> I'm not kidding, it's the CEO. And I was like a lowly little systems analyst, and showing up at the Christmas party together was pretty jaw dropping. And just going on dates together, people seeing us, it, it didn't last. It
0: didn't no. last. How did it affect your employment there? Not at all. No?
1: Other than like the looks on people's faces was worth a million dollars, like,
0: honest to God. Is that how you became a system analyst to a president within a couple of months? that when this all happened? No,
1: no, nothing like
0: that. All right, Shelly, enough about romance. But Mm -hmm. now let's move on to in the news. And we got some big news. We haven't talked recently too much about acquisitions because there hasn't been any. And there's a couple that have happened in the last couple of days. One specifically that I think is going to change the landscape of not only HR tech, but for a lot of us recruiters that are leveraging Workday as our main system, our main ATS. To give you a little bit of the highlight, Workday has announced the intention to acquire hired scores. I have actually used hardscored in the past, and I am very impressed with what they do. So... Let me give you the breakdown. Workday's purchase of HiredScore aims to bolster its offerings with advanced AI-driven solution for talent acquisition and internal mobility. The acquisition is expected to finalize by the end of the first quarter of Workday's fiscal year 2025, pending regulatory approvals. We don't have a clue if there's any money involved, but here is what I do know: HiredScore was founded in 2012 by Atina. Carp. So kudos to her. And she's been grinding it because I cannot find any financing or funding on TechCrunch. So I think they have completely built this from the ground. Couple of key things here, and when we talk about the effect this will have in the industry itself, Workday has the largest market share of all companies in the US for applicant tracking system, and it's a big lead. They have around 25% of the market share. And Shelly, we've talked about this. We've talked about Workday, Oracle Recruiting Cloud, they're all bad. Success factor. Workday acquiring hard scored and overlaying on what they are doing right now puts them in a different spot. And I think we are going to see this across the industry. I wouldn't be shocked that we see like UKG acquire an eightfold or someone acquire a phenom. I think this is just setting up the stage because I feel that the days of the enterprise ATS, so Companies that target, let's use the example maybe of the job smart recruiters that I tried to go higher end of the market, iSIMs, the workdays of the world are coming for you even more aggressively than they have because they have market share. I think we're going to see a lot of these disappear. There's a lot of rumors out there with ATS players in general of them being acquired or being sold. Have you ever heard of Hired Scored, Shelley?
1: I've heard of them, but unlike you, I've not had any opportunity to take them for a test drive or anything. Yeah. What's exciting about this is Hired Scored's use of AI. And when you think about the use of AI inside a closed environment, specifically if you're already on Workday and you're going to layer in something like Hired Score. You can look at not just external, but internal talent. So when they talk about talent mobility, this is giving you an advanced tool to take a look at the actual scores. Because like we talked about last week, how are you ever going to figure out a quality of hire? This is how. If you've got a hired score product over top of workday, then you know what the performance scores have been. You know what training employees have successfully completed. So this is a really smart move. And I think it's a really exciting time to watch what the other big players are going to do in this field. And Hired Score is built on AI and it is not just the applicant tracking system part. I think that's what's exciting for me is both the internal database as well as the applicant tracking.
0: So Shelly, I think you're right. I think the consolidation of these brands acquiring really good technology is going to be a big push that we're going to see in 2024. They see how important it is and they realize that what they've built is great for enterprise in the sense of transferring information from departments to departments, getting the employees information. But we know how bad Workday's ATS has been. It still doesn't solve the problem of the initial application, which is still really bad with Workday. But as we had JobSync a couple of months ago, talking about the integration of JobSync into Workday, leveraging Indeed in that factors, sense, yeah. I think it's going to make a big, big difference. So it is a big transaction. And I think we'll see more in the coming weeks. There was another big transaction that just happened, Shelly, as well. I don't have as much detail but we've all heard of the company Deal. Mm. So Deal announced on Wednesday that it has acquired German-based people enablement platform Zavi, Z-A-V-Y. So I think that's Zavi. It's estimated to be around $20 million. So a pretty small transaction. But if you look at Deal, who has been the unicorn in this space with a valuation of over $2 billion, they are setting themselves up to compete against the big dogs like Workday. So couple of big transactions there, Shelley. Let's keep an eye on it. Mm -hmm. What else is in the news?
1: So closer to home, as far as what's in the news, is something I was so pleased to see. As of February 15th, 2024, here in Canada, students who are graduating with a master's degree or a PhD will receive a three-year work permit. If you go in our back catalog, you'll hear me talking often about the fact that we should follow suit with other countries where if the students have obviously the language skills to complete a master's or PhD, we need to find a way to keep them in the country. Because yes, we need labor. Yes, we have shortages in trades and skills, but we also need a future of well-educated and locally educated. So. Find a way to keep them in the country. This is really good news. And these are master's degree programs. There is a list of designated educational institutions. It's not the strip mall, sign up here and you can get a a certificate in dog grooming. No, these are from designated institutions. And it is incumbent upon the student to ensure that the institution you're going to is on this list. It's a degree program anywhere from eight months to two years mm. for a PhD or master's.
0: Shelly, I, I was really surprised that we weren't doing this already. I'm not very well versed in this space, but it makes sense. Like they either got their PhD or their master's. Isn't that the type of talent that we want to keep in the country and keep mm. employed here? So mm. kudos to the government. I think it makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. Good news. Good news.
0: Yeah. Let's jump into the tip of the week, Shelly.
1: <laughs> you bet. So the tip of the week, of course, is brought to you by Plum. Plum knows that when people flourish, businesses thrive. Using science-backed insights, Plum aligns human potential with job needs, allowing you to build high-performing teams from a single platform. Ideal for improving hiring choices, identifying future leaders, and offering personalized career advice. Plum supports the entire employee journey from hire to retire. Discover more at Plum.io. So my tip of the week, no is a good answer, because it is an answer. My tip of the week was inspired by this week's candidate experience research. And what they reported is when candidates still feel positive towards your company, even if they didn't get the job. Their research this year shows that 30% of people that responded to their benchmark survey say that they would still be extremely likely to refer, yet nearly 90% of those people didn't get the job. And so there are stages in the process where telling a candidate the answer is no you didn't get the job is good i would say first would be within the first 3 days after somebody's applied to get a response that says we've read your resume we're moving forward with other candidates just let people know because we know candidates apply to more than one job so saying no means they can move on the other is within 1 day after an interview even the pre screen any form of interview where you've spoken to somebody at the company within one day, you should be back to them to say, no, we're moving forward with other candidates. And the other is within one day of somebody who's gone through multiple interviews and you've made a decision. Once you've got the offer extended and accepted, you should be within one day calling back the unsuccessfuls and letting them know that the answer is no.
0: Very good tip. I'm not going to disagree with anything there. It's really challenging. And I get that, especially when you're getting thousands of applicants and you're dealing with multiple recs. But think about how the candidate will feel after the fact of just knowing that's all they're looking for. I'm a big believer in telling them exactly where they stand, as long as I don't have to give them any particular feedback or specific feedback.
1: (laughs) We all live in fear, right?
0: We all live in fear. Shelly, let's jump into the recruiting insights. And the recruiting insights are brought to you by our friends at Mitova. Shelly, are you tired of the same old outsourcing woes? Well, say hello to
1: nearshoring. It's like outsourcing, but closer. And it won't make you pull your hair out.
0: Picture this. Top-notch IT talent from Latin America.
1: Many Latin American IT professionals have strong English language skills and even live in the same time zone. So no more midnight conference calls. Hallelujah. Plus, Latin America's growing tech ecosystem, strong educational institutions, and a pool of skilled IT professionals make it the perfect region for recruiting talent.
0: I have the perfect company that does this. The company's name is Mitova. They have local experts who handle everything from recruiting to HR support.
1: So why settle for the same old outsourcing blues when you
0: can have the near-shoring party with Mitova? Look them up at Mitova.com and let's get the fiesta started. Shelly, we've been talking about skill-based hiring for a long time, and recently I got my hands on a report from Harvard Business School and the Burning Glass Institute. Talk about top line credible institute when it comes to research and they released a very interesting report on the progress of skill-based hiring so before we go a little bit deeper i i want to give everyone a definition of skill-based hiring because there's multiple out there And it's something that we're hearing a lot. But what does it actually mean? So skill-based hiring refers to the practice of employers setting specific skills or competency requirements or targets. Skills and competencies may be cognitive or other professional skills, often commonly called soft skills. So Shelly, there was a lot of juicy, juicy tidbits in this report, but are we actually doing skill-based hiring? Are there organizations that are really driving this? And how do you measure this? And they took an interesting approach. The first thing they really looked at was employers that have traditionally used college degrees as a proxy for assessing candidates' foundational skills and general capabilities. But let's put this in perspective. 60% of Americans don't have a university or college degree. And the numbers are not that far off here in Canada, a little bit higher in Europe. If you are putting the requirements, you're alienating 60% of people that you could actually target. So they took this research and they actually went from 2014 to 2023. And the first thing they did see a significant increase in degree requirement removals. There was almost a four-fold increase in the annual numbers of job roles dropping degree requirements. Definitely, it's showing a shift in the employer practice. But in doing that, what's happened is there's been minimal changes in the hiring patterns. They remove the requirement for a college or university degree but the behaviors within the organization has not changed at all, right? Because the hiring manager is still getting applicants. They're probably getting a lot of applicants and they're leveraging what they've done in the past as a proxy in their mind of success is, do they have a degree? So as they're filtering through these candidates, they're still going aggressively after the ones that have a degree compared to the ones that haven't. What I found interesting basically it came in three different categories, right? So some we'll call them the leaders. They made significant changes overall in their hiring practice. and they also saw a fairly significant change in their workforce composition. Then there's the folks, and this is the majority, that talk about in-name only. They change a little bit of things. They drop the degree requirement, but they didn't change any of their practice, and the results are very clear. And then 17% that actually were backsliders. They had the initial change, a little bit of good progress, then they went the other way. So Shelly... What is the biggest challenge here? Because some organizations are taking it seriously. Dropping the degree requirement is the first step. I know it's still early, but what, what's your overall thoughts here?
1: So, what surprised me was they tracked this from 2014 to 2023. So, almost 10 years. And so, I think we need to take a little bit of a step back to when the labor market was a lot tighter. Yeah. And so, if we look at the ebb and flow over the years, when you have more applicants, then you need to find a way to filter people out, yeah. right? And they were using the university degree as a way of doing that. Then the labor market got extremely competitive and tight, more in favor of the job seeker, and they needed to open up their aperture, but they've gone back. So it, it actually is reflective of what's happening In the labor market right Mm. now so we've moved back to more of an employer's market and old habits die hard quite honestly it's really the simplest and easiest way and what i didn't find that surprising was the companies how they put it in name only so all they did was they actually removed from the job posting that this job requires a university degree But who they ended up interviewing and hiring were all those who had degrees. So it's really not had the effect that everyone thought it would. If you're having the conversation with your hiring managers, but you know what? If you're trying to fill one job and you've got 300 applicants, what are you going to do? And so they know nothing else. And in the absence of using any sort of technology to help you, you're cooped. If you're honestly expecting somebody to read through, 350 applicants? Like, it's not realistic.
0: No, it's not realistic. And this is a very simple step in skill based hiring, right? Like, just dropping the degree requirement. And I understand why they did it. How do you measure it? It's a very small part of actual hiring, right? Just the degree requirement. If you look at what it means to dig in deeper and mm-hmm. skill, you are going to need technology, you are going to need assessment, you are going to have to do a really deep dive as an organization to figure out what those skills are, and mm-hmm. how you measure them. So this was very basic, but it gives us a picture because in that time frame they measured the impact of doing this, right? And it was basically non-existent so 0.14 percent increase in incremental hiring of people without a degree so that's basically ninety-seven thousand workers out of 77 million in that time frame so almost no change but shelly we're getting into a space that i know we talk a lot about skill-based hiring and i know there's tons of great companies that are doing really cool stuff that are actually bringing us closer I am still heavily doubting HR and talent acquisition and hiring managers, what they actually, if they're actually on board with this, Mm. because from the outside, if I'm a hiring manager, this seems really complex, right? Like I'm used to looking at resume. Oh, they seem good. I'll interview them. I hire them or I don't hire them. Looking at hiring in a completely different way without clear guidelines, a plan, a strategy, is something that's going to be impossible for a lot of organizations to execute on it. The resume is not going away any soon, in my opinion. Excellent points. All right. Do you want to move on to the next recruitment insight?
1: Okay. Just diving a little bit deeper into, I think, the 86 pages.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I did. I read it. You the read all of it? Can- yeah. The Global yeah. Candidate Experience Benchmark Report. What I love about this particular report, yes, it's candidate experience, but I love how consistent they have been for so many years. Mm. So you can begin to identify trends and it is truly global looking at the things that we are interested in yeah. talent acquisition. I polled from North America, Europe, Asia Pacific, as well as Latin America just what talent acquisition operational models are, and how they've changed. And this is a snapshot of the last five years. And it talks about the centralized recruitment model, meaning you've got dedicated recruiters, recruitment org structure, and a budget. So that's how they define centralized. Decentralized Mm -hmm. is when they may be dedicated recruiters, but they are actually embedded in the business versus part of a TA team, center of excellence type of idea. Outsourced being like an RPO, a combination of centralized and outsourced, or a combination of decentralized and outsourced. So, what's super cool is when you take a look at the five year snapshot and see which way things are trending in different countries around the world. And there were some really interesting things Mm -hmm. as we look through time in each of these different regions. So, first of all, it appears that RPO. In North America is on the decline. What we saw in 2019 was 19% of organizations were using RPO. And as of 2023, it was three percent. Fascinating, hey? Who'd have known?
0: I have a hard time believing it, to be honest. And when we say outsource, it also includes like HRO and third party vendors, but mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a massive number. First of all, that 19% only four years ago and it's dropped to 3%. This is where I'm trying to calculate some of the math, right? Because if we look at centralized, which is basically dedicated recruiter or structure and budget, that went down too. That went down from 63% to 52% 2019 to 2023. Yes, But the only thing that we saw a little bit of an uptake, but not really it was decentralized in 2019 it was 19% then in 2022 it was 11% then it jumped back to 19% i don't know where all these is north
1: america yeah. this is
0: just north america and
1: yeah yeah so on that same note when we look at europe so let's just stay here on the same topic of being decentralized that's when your recruiters are embedded in the business in 2019 it was 13% and by 2023 it's at 33 So in five years, it's gone from thirteen percent to thirty-three percent of organizations who have a decentralized model, and we've seen a huge drop. Again, talking about Europe and a centralized model, like a center of excellence model, it was sixty-one percent of companies in twenty twenty-two, and in twenty-three, it's thirty-three percent. So it appears that in North America, it's pretty much stabilized. Mm. Over the last number of years, a little bit of a drop, but a big drop in Europe. I thought that was fascinating. It seems that Asia Pacific, pretty steady over the last five years. Not a lot of changes in any of these categories at all. Like one percentage point differences. But the next very cool stat was Latin America, much like Europe, but even more so in Latin America. If we go back to the center of excellence model in 2019 75% of organizations had a centralized model
0: mm.
1: as of 2023 27% and in my experience there's this usually a 7 year cycle this is clearly showing evidence that it's a 5 year cycle where organizations they'll have the center of excellence and then they'll be like no I want recruiters directly embedded in the business and yeah
0: So I think this will be an opportunity to dig in deeper because we don't talk a lot about Latin America at all. We will have Miriam from our friends at Mitova joining us in the next coming months. And we want to dig in on this because she has seen the rise and the fall of different models across the board. So it'll be interesting to dig in deeper. Overall, Shelley, when you look at these models, right, like centralized, decentralized, outsourced, combination of centralized and outsource and a combination of decentralized and outsource. Mm -hmm. What has been your preferred method? Because I've worked or I've created structure in a lot of Mm these, especially Mm -hmm. the centralized and the decentralized. Is it just the type of organization that you decide or do you have a formula no matter what you're recruiting for or how you're recruiting? This is the way you do it if you're in charge of recruitment. If I'm
1: in charge of recruitment, it is centralized. And outsourced. So it'd be a combination.
0: Yeah. and
1: And I'll tell you why. If you have major projects, and it's usually an IT project of some sort, where the business doesn't necessarily need to sustain just the sheer number of people you need to implement a new product and training and so yeah. on and so forth. So you're going to outsource those specialty skills for a 24 month or 36 month timeframe, right? And it's actually built right into your project plan. The other would be construction projects, right? You're going to have a centralized model for your core skills or maybe your corporate employees, and then outsource your spikes in demand. So in the industries that I have personally worked in, my favorite is centralized and outsource the combination.
0: Is there any cases that decentralized work? Because if you look at the big organizations yes. like the Amazon and the, mm-hmm. that scope, that's mm-hmm. generally the model they have. They have a particular line of talent acquisition for projects or divisions, and it seems to work really well for them. But is there any other example that decentralized could work well? I think decentralized
1: is great in smaller organizations. Okay. Oh, and companies that have multiple brands. Because your business needs are very different. Say you've got one of your companies that does construction, and one of your companies does maintenance. Those are two very different Mm -hmm. skill sets. Even though you think they cross over, they don't. Healthcare would be another really good example, because you may have a surgical suite, you may have seniors care. There's so many different service lines, but they may be all under one corporate umbrella. But if you're trying to centralize recruitment and have a a center of excellence, it may just be for the overall programs, management of programs, administration, recruitment, coordination, that sort of thing, like to have it centralized in that sense. But I think a decentralized model is really good for companies with maybe a single brand with different lines of business that maybe seem related, but not completely.
0: Yeah, really good point. I wasn't thinking about the multiple brands and obviously different needs. Your recruitment marketing is different. There's a lot of things that are different in that case. Obviously, you can still leverage the infrastructure in a lot of ways. So Shelly, we've got a lot going on in a couple of weeks. March 11, we're going to be in Montreal with our friends at Hiring Branch doing a workshop on demystifying skill-based hiring and how to leverage ai in doing it we are digging deep and there is a fun exercise and you probably have seen maybe my linkedin posts of shelly versus the robot because we're doing a test where basically i'm getting assessed by a robot and when i say robot it's hiring Branch's tool And Shelly is going to assess exactly the same thing. And we're going to see what the results are. My money is on the robot doing a better job than Shelly, but I guess we'll see. Shelly, we have two more spots open. And if you are a flight away, reach out to Bet or reach out to myself or Shelly directly. We love to have you there, especially with the crowd that is going to be there, because we got some of the biggest brands in Canada are going to be in this room. So it's an opportunity not only to learn a lot about the in depth of AI and skill based hiring, But also a chance to hear how other companies are looking at this and how they want to do it. And I know we announced a while back, but I made it LinkedIn official. Mm -hmm. I put a post out there that we will be the MCs at TA Tech June 6th to 9th in Washington, D.C. at the International Spy Museum. It's a really good show. The who's who of talent tech, HR tech, job boards or all going to be there. So definitely get your ticket. The link is on my post on LinkedIn. You can find it there. Shelly, anything else that I'm missing?
1: The only other thing I wanted to add about the hiring a branch event on March 11th. Yeah. If your organization does high volume hiring. Yes. This is the workshop to attend. And it is a workshop. This is a opportunity to hear what other organizations are doing. But most specifically, high volume hiring
0: is the focus. Don't hesitate anywhere yep. in Canada, right? Or even some parts of North America. It's, it's a flight away. Thank you for adding that in, Shelly. All right. On that note, that's it for this week. Have a fantastic weekend, everyone listening. Au revoir. Shelley, let's face it.
1: Visit www.rectxt.com, mention the Recruitment Flex, and get 10% off annual plans.